Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorer News. This week we're going to have two lessons and a story, and I'm going to start here with three specific vital things I want you to remember. Number one, vitality is purposeful, energetic, and connected living. Number two, diet drinks decrease our caloric intake but may lead to long-term health risks. And number three, flopping can lead to higher horizons. Now we always like to start with a quote, and here's the quote. And that is, the end of fear is where we begin. And that's from John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls and his awesome song, Let Love In. So let's play a little bit of that to get us going today. All right, so the end of fear is where we begin. And we're going to begin this week with the Vitality Fishbone. Okay, now all of these are on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. You can check it out there uh, with references and graphics. You can also join um, for a text message that comes to your phone once a week by going to vitalityexplorers.com. So the Vitality Fishbone is the thing I use. It's sort of a graphic I came up with to try and Uh, teach people that vitality, I think, is connected to both your, excuse me, connected to your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. It's all of them. And a fishbone diagram is something that's used in a variety of areas in business. We also use them in medicine to try to understand how do we get to something. So you can think of it as like the sort of a scale on a fishbone for people who are listening and not looking at it on the Vitality Explorer site. I'll put it up on the show notes. You can see this actual diagram. But under physical, there's things like strength, endurance, flexibility, diet, weight, and sleep. Under your mental well-being, things like purpose and discipline matter. Your social well-being or your social vitality is connected to your, obviously, to your closeness with others. But it's also connected to time management. And spiritual can be connected to your purpose, but it also can be connected to how you are serving other people or your sense of hope or faith in the world. And I think it's not any one of these things. I think it's all of these things together that can enhance our vitality. And so what, the, what I've tried to engage with my listeners, with my readers and my students in my Stanford Vitality class is coming up in April here. So I'm getting prepared to do this for the eighth time. But This idea of vitality being a purposeful, vigorous, and energetic and connected uh, sense of living is really important. I actually boiled it down to a little shorter version of that. So this is my working definition. Vitality is purposeful, energetic, and connected living. All right. And I put a thread up on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site. I encourage you to, to post your comments about that because I do think vitality is a skill. That's really one of the major theses of my class, my book, and and my work here for Vitality Explorers. And when we talk about this fishbone, this idea that your mental, physical, social, and spiritual well-being are all connected to your vitality, I think some of us find some of these easier and some of them are much more difficult. Um, For instance, we might be a former college or high school athlete, and so going to the gym or working out isn't very hard for us but we may not have other things in our life like service to others, or we may be really, really good at discipline, but we're not necessarily really 
uh, close with others. And again, when you take a look at the peer-reviewed published scientific data on what enhances your vitality, each and every one of these matters. So that's why I came up with that fishbone. I really hope some, some people will go to the Vitality Explorer site, post your comments about that. And, and remember, vitality is purposeful, energetic, and connected living. That's one of the three things to remember for this week. Uh, and remember also that awesome song to check it out, Let Love In uh, by John Resnick and the Google Dolls, where the quote came from, the end of fear is where we begin. The second thing we're going to talk about today, and the second point I want you to remember, is diet drinks decrease our caloric intake but may lead to long-term health risks. And so like we do on Vitality Explorers, this podcast up on, on the on the uh, Substack site, uh, I came up with this sort of snarky idea for a title, Our Diet Drinks Devilish. You can look at the references there. And and, and really what it, it, what it brought me to try to study this is a couple of the Vitality Explorers suggested I look into this. And I think it's a really, really interesting and important topic. Okay, so if you have a suggestion for something we should cover, please uh, leave us a message uh, on, on the Ex Ex Vitality Explorer Substack site. You can also email me at am at daretobevital.com, am at daretobevital. Okay, so there's been an explosion of these diet drinks over the last 20 years, but I think we really haven't explored how these drinks affect our health and wellness. All right, and so that's what I tried to do. I am not an expert in this, but I reviewed two specific, very detailed articles that were reviews about uh, diet drinks and artificial sweeteners that have been published in 2023. Um, so there's a variety of flavors, and what's happened is they've rebranded this, right? It used to be known as diet drinks. Now they're zero sugar drinks, right? So reducing sugar in our diet is, is actually really important, right? So sugar is... And is inflammatory. It obviously carries calories. It can affect our weight. Um, and, and, and so decreasing our sugar is important. So that's what they're kind of um, you know, praying on is they're hoping, okay, zero sugar, but what is in these drinks to make them taste good? All right. So I'm going to confess here that I do like uh, Coke Zero, and this is partially for me to better answer for myself, how much and if should I be drinking any, any diet diet drinks. And do they hurt us or, or potentially help us? So here's one of the articles we're going to talk about. The effect of non-nutritive sweetened beverages on a postprandial glycemic, glycemic and endocrine responses, a systematic review and network meta-analysis. All right, I want you to say that five times real fast. So this is a, a paper that basically looked at artificial sweeteners looked at whether or not it increased our glucose and changed or and or changed any hormones in our body. And again, you can look for the references up on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. And please subscribe there uh, to uh, to get this in your email version. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get it. And please share this widely. Thank you. So beverages with arterial, excuse me, not arterial, Beverages with artificial sweeteners. I don't even know where arterial came from on that. Be beverages with artificial sweeteners have zero effect or no effect on our glucose level and were similar to water. And that's according to that study that I just quoted. All right. So they, they, they looked at a whole bunch of different ones, sucralose, saccharin, aspartame, uh, or some combination of those. And then they compared them to water. Um, the interesting thing is beverages with artificial sweeteners also had no effect on our insulin levels or other hormones that, is, that um, affect our sense 
of fullness or satiety. Okay, so if you're if you're drinking these according to this particular paper, quote, there's no meaningful effects on postprandial, that means after you drink it, postprandial glucose and endocrine response, unquote. So in this in this analysis, and this was a systematic review and network meta-analysis that was published in 2023, it seems like beverages do not increase your glucose and do not change your hormones, okay? Now, that is really good news, right? So you can drink a diet or zero soda or zero sugar kind of drink and say, okay, listen, I'm, I'm having less calories. It's not affecting my glucose levels. It's not affecting my insulin levels or other hormones. Here's the big but, and then we're going to take a little pause and talk a little bit about artificial sweeteners and where they came from, and then get into this article, which is artificially sweetened beverages beyond the metabolic risks. Uh, Systematic review of the literature. Artificially sweetened beverages beyond the metabolic risks. And what do they mean by that is we just talked about the metabolic risk. What they mean by that is like if you're eating something, or your glucose is going to go up, or your insulin is going to go up, or you're going to gain weight. Or not, maybe, not, maybe not gain weight, but change some of the hormones that are associated with you feeling hungry or not. Um, so the first artificial sweetener, saccharin, was actually synthesized way, I had no idea, it was way back in 1879. 1879. And then aspartame, which you've heard of, because it's in a lot of things. Just check the check the ingredients on some of the beverages you're probably drinking. Uh, it was 1965. And then there's other ones. There's just a whole bunch of them, like sucralose, sativa. I didn't even know what uh, tagatose is. <laughs> T-A-G-A-T-O-S-E. I'm going to have to look that up. Tagatose. All right, but these substances are all sweeter than table sugar but, and have no nutritious properties, which, impl- which implies sort of that they don't have calories, right? Um, but the, and again, these substances have been around for a long time, but they're creeping into everything because we do enjoy drinking sweet stuff. So many experts believe that excess consumption um, of diet drinks is not good for you and they can have ill effects, um, but maybe they're okay because they're decreasing your caloric intake. So this is, this is very interesting. And there's a kind of a cool graphic up on this, on the Vitality Explorer Substack site that you can see about the, the, the effects other than on whether you're adding calories uh, to, to your diet when you have a diet soda or a zero sugar drink. And this is where it gets fascinating. And I'm just gonna kind of quote some risks from the paper, I encourage you to look at the reference and do your own homework on this. Again, we're switching it up a little bit on Vitality Explorers, and I'm going to remind you the three things I want you to remember here at the end of this. And number one is vitality is purposeful, energetic, and connected living. Number two is diet diet drinks decrease our caloric intake but may lead to long-term health risks. And number three is flopping can lead to higher horizons. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to finish up here with what are the other risks for diet drinks other than, uh, you know, again, connected to your sugar intake. So number one, fascinating, mental health. And this is uh, some data from that paper. Researchers found a a statistically significant association between depression and consumption of artificially sweetened beverages. This association was more apparent among women than men. That's a quote from the paper. That's incredible, right? There's an association between consumption of artificially sweetened beverages and depression, and women are higher at risk than men. Wow. All right, number two, child neurodevelopment. Quote, they found that maternal diet soda consumption during pregnancy may adversely impact child cognition, unquote. Wow. Number three, cardiac remodeling. And this is like, you know, how your heart changes over time. Quote, 
Uh, authors found an association between high diet drink intake and cardiovascular disease outcomes and mortality in postmenopausal women. Ooh, these are crazy, crazy risks here. Number, number four is kidney disease. There's a higher risk of kidney disease with more consumption of diet soda, and there's sort of this relative risks. So the baseline, get this, the baseline was one per week. Wow. One diet drink per week was the baseline. And then this is your increased risk if you have more than one diet drink per week. Wow. All right. One to four. They broke it down. One to four, five to seven, and more than seven. So one to four, 8% increased risk. That doesn't seem like it's too bad, right? Five to seven was 33% increased risk. Above seven was an 83% increased risk of kidney disease. Okay, so let's think about that. So if you're having one every other day, so maybe three or four per week, you only have an 8% increased risk of kidney disease. But if you go above one per day, above seven, you're getting an 83% increased risk of kidney disease. Oh my God, this is crazy. Again, this is data. This is not my opinion here. Next one, lymphoma and myeloma, which are blood-related cancers. Quote, in men greater than one serving of diet soda, increased risks of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and multiple myeloma in comparison to men who did not consume diet soda. So greater than one, increase your risk of these two nasty cancers. Next one, fractures, quote, increased soda consumption of all types may be associated with increased risk of a hip fracture in postmenopausal women. And then the final one is the most crazy thing in here. I didn't think about this, but this is an interesting study about having a diet-related drink in conjunction with alcohol. And quote, a randomized controlled trial done on 20 participants using two different moderate alcohol doses confirmed the presence that mixing alcohol with diet beverages can result in higher breath alcohol concentrations compared with mixing the same amount of alcohol with sweetened beverages, unquote. Wait a minute. Have yourself a vodka Red Bull, not a vodka diet Red Bull, if you're going to think about doing any sort of driving. Wow, that is that is a really interesting. Now it's only twenty participants, and maybe it's not really true, but there may be some association between having a diet drink and increasing your alcohol concentration in your breath. Woo. Okay, so here's the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendations based on diet drinks. The published scientific data suggests diet drinks are not really completely devilish in low consumption rates. Um, they may help us decrease our caloric intake, but um, carry other long-term risks, especially if we're having more than one per day or maybe more, even as low as one every other day. So I think we're still in search of the exact amount that a diet or zero sugar drink consumption that could be considered safe. If anybody's reading this post who has elite, deep understanding of this, please, please, please post your comments or contact me because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really doing my, trying to do my homework and spend a lot of time going down this rabbit hole this past week. Uh, and I'm trying to present the best data that I could find, but I'm sure that other people ha- have deeper experience with this. Um, so this this is a topic that was requested to be pre- uh, presented by several Vitality Explorers. We will continue to monitor the world's literature to help guide us on this particular topic because I think these these diet or zero sugar drinks are all over the place in, in the marketplace, and we're consuming them uh, sometimes maybe not even knowing it. Okay. 
All right. Um, again, the, the, the references are on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. Uh, you can see the abstracts there and links to the actual scientific uh, published articles. We're going to finish this week with how flopping can change the world. All right. So we think, you know, we think of flopping as bad, right? Um, you can flip flop on a, on a political issue when somebody changes their mind, they're flip flopping. Um, actually, one of the things is flip flop. I love flip flops. So maybe not all flip flopping is bad. Um, but you can flop your, you know, if you think about a movie flopping at the box office or a product launch as a flop, that's bad. Uh, and flopping now in basketball, by the way, this is during March Badness when this is being originally recorded. Um, if you flop, if you tr- if somebody's driving towards you and you fake fall or flop, that can now be considered a foul, which I think is a good idea. But the dictionary definition of flopping is to move or fall in an ungainly fashion. So why would anybody use flopping to advance any sport? Well, a radical athlete named Dick Fosbury found gold in flopping, all right? And unfortunately, he just passed away uh, about a week ago at, at age 76, but he revolutionized the sport of high jumping by introducing a new technique known as the Fosbury flop, okay? Before Fosbury, before Dick Fosbury did this, the traditional method of high jumping was um, jumping face forward over the bar, and it was called, you know, you jump with one leg and then try to scissor your legs over or straddle your legs over the bar, all right? And Fosbury dove into this sport and, and can completely changed it, but I think the backstory is really fascinating. So remember, we're going to talk about two, two specific things related to vitality in a story, and this is the story that's interesting. So Dick Fosbury grew up in Oregon, and he dove into sports after he lost his brother in a bike accident that involved a drunk driver and the subsequent divorce of his parents. Um, he couldn't make the football or basketball teams, so he tried out for the track team, and he set his sights on, on high jump, uh, but was frankly terrible at it, okay? Um, you know, the traditional jumping over with one leg and a scissor or sort of straddle technique, he couldn't even clear the minimum of five feet. Now think about that. He couldn't clear the minimum of five feet. But according to a lot of reports that I wrote, actually I wrote, I read, well, after learning about Dick Fosbury passing away this past week, he used pure instinct to come up with a new jumping method during his sophomore year in high school. He approached the bar, he had a sort of a curved path towards the bar, planted his foot, and then jumped off with his back to the bar, arching his back over the bar, lifting his leg, kicking with his feet to clear the barrier. Now, Back then, back in the in the 60s when he came up with this, the pit consisted basically of sand, wood chips, or sawdust. So he landed in, in this, you know, cr- terrible mixture of stuff, um, but he started to clear higher, higher heights. The new technique was clearly crazy, according to a lot of people. It was met with skepticism, ridicule, uh, because it was unorthodox and clearly unconventional. Um, it was, he was referred to as like a flopping fish. Um, and you know, his coach, his competitors really didn't, didn't appreciate what he was doing until he cleared six foot five in his, and remember he couldn't clear five feet doing the other technique, but he cleared six foot five inches in his senior year in high school. And that earned him a college track and field scholarship to Oregon state. Okay. So he gets to Oregon state and then wait for it. His coach tried to convert him back to doing the scissors or straddle technique. Uh, but he continued to practice his radical craft despite this. And then he became the first athlete over time 
he over and over again practiced it, but he came, became the first athlete to clear the seven foot mark. And then he eventually went, went on to win the gold medal in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. All right. So that is that is quite a story of Dick Fosbury. Um, you know, and, and all jumpers worldwide use some version of the Fosbury flop technique. Now it's called the Fosbury flop after him. Um, and, you know, he really did change this by flopping. So he, he took a radical approach to it uh, and, you know, challenged the traditional way of doing it. And then he paved the way, not just for his own sport, but for other sports to evolve uh, using sort of uh, unconventional ideas. So the analysis, I think, of this story for us and there's sort of a disclaimer here. I was a I was a mediocre high jumper in high school, so that's part of the reason why I was drawn into this. I've known about Dick Fosbury since I was a teenager. Um, I I could clear a reasonable height in high school, uh, but the, at, at one big meet, I finally cleared the top height I'd ever done. Um, I honestly can't remember whether it was five ten or six feet, which is not great, but for a Class B school in, in Michigan, it was reasonably good. Um, I think it was six feet, or I'd like to believe it was six feet, but it might have been 5'10". If anybody's listening to this, who knows, from my high school track team, let me know. Anyway, so I cleared this height, but I landed outside of the pit and knocked myself out, all right? And I also landed on the bar many times. Like I said, I was a mediocre high jumper, but I really, really admired Dick Fosbury, and the sport has uh, has intrigued me for my entire life. Um but what I liked about his idea and, and, and learning, and I didn't dive into how he came up with it until he passed away, um, is that he, he came up with a radical new approach by simply following his instincts. He was going against the grain. He was going against the traditional way of doing this. And his brave new technique, I think, can be a lesson for all of us if we want to identify novel solutions to difficult problems. And here's my three thoughts. Number one, we should follow our hearts. He just sort of knew. Number two is sort of connected to that. Just follow your gut instinct. We should believe in our gut instinct. Follow your heart. Believe in your gut instincts. And number three is let's give crazy ideas a chance once in a while. So that's that was you know my idea about trying to bring something that may be a little bit of a selfish topic of interest to me. But I think we should be willing to flop sometimes in order to find or identify or live at the highest possible horizon. Um, so again, we're changing things up on the Vitality Explorer News podcast on purpose. Our quote this week was, the end of fear is where we begin from John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. And, the, and the, the song is Let Love In. You can check that out on Spotify. You can check Apple Music or wherever you get your music. Um, the three things I want you to remember from these two lessons in a story are, number one, vitality is a purposeful, is, vitality is purposeful, energetic, and connected living. Number two, diet drinks can decrease our caloric intake without changing our glucose levels or insulin levels, but in high doses or number of drinks may lead to longer-term health risks. And number three, flopping can lead to higher horizons. So I hope you've enjoyed the Vitality Explorer News podcast. If you have, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please share this widely with uh, someone in your network to enhance their vitality. And until next time, dare to be vital.